All right. So did everybody get a study sheet? You need two? So everybody good on study sheet? Ty need one? Okay. Ty need one. Ty, Ty need one. I need one. Oh, man. All right. So first things first, I'm not going to draw anything tonight, so you don't have to worry about that. Get, get that out of the way. Now I'm thinking about it. All right. All right. Um, so we're continuing on with the, uh, with the question and answer. Um, so this week, it's going to kind of be a little bit like the, uh, a little bit like a, a, a classroom setting almost, because uh, we're going to hit a lot of material, and uh, hopefully we can get through it all. So, um, <clears throat> but it is kind of in line with, uh, uh, with really what Caleb uh, finished with a couple weeks ago. Um, and that is really the inerrancy of, of the King James Bible. And, uh, I mean, both of these questions actually lined up perfectly, so I'm glad that I could do both of these uh, together. Um, before we do that, um, actually, no, we're, we'll, we'll go ahead. We'll move forward. Um, all right, so the question was this. So the doctrinal statement of our church says, God, through the ages, has, in his divine providence preserved his complete inerrant word and conveyed the same uh, to English-speaking peoples throughout the authorized King James translation, uh, and that's the 1611. Uh, and the question is, doesn't the 1611 contain the Apocrypha? Now, we're going to cover all of this, but uh, basically what our doctrinal statement is is that we can trust fully and completely that this is the inerrant word of God and that it has been preserved from the original 1611 uh, that was produced under King, King James. Um, <clears throat> so the answer, in short, is yes. Yes, the original 1611, uh, 1611 KJV does contain the Apocrypha uh, in between the Old and New Testament. It's called the intertestamental uh, period. Uh, however, the translators made that decision for a specific reason in those days. So first things first, what is the Apocrypha? Everybody uh, go to Matthew and then turn a couple pages, or just one page. Uh, I just have one page in between. And go to Malachi chapter 4. <clears throat> or Malachi, however you want to pronounce it. I like that one. Malachi? Okay. Malachi. Malachi. <laughs> Malachi. Malachi? All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. So Malachi chapter four. Um, 
Now, for the sake of reading all of this, we're just going to kind of skim here. But uh, verse 1, it says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Okay, and this is talking about the minor prophets in the Old Testament really are talking about the day of the Lord. That's really what you can count on with all of them. Um, But this is really talking about that end time, that day of the Lord, which is uh, the day that the Lord will return and actually set foot on this planet and conquer the world again once and for all. Um, So this is talking about that day. In verse 2 it says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness arise uh, with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. So there is hope. There is hope, uh, which is awesome. Uh, And verse 6, and this is how it, uh, the entire Old, chap- uh, Old Testament in this chapter, it ends. It comes to a conclusion. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The last three words in the Old Testament are with a curse. Okay? So that's very important because what happens next is, and you can follow along on your study sheet here, at the conclusion of the Old Testament, and there is a period of, does anybody know? 400. 400. Good, you guys all know. See, you get this. There's a period of 400 years of silence. Silence. Um, and this is, again, it's called the intertestamental period. Um, during this period, God does not speak. However, there were several supposed books written that uh, were, that are not included in the canon of Scripture. And uh, so, does everybody know what I mean by the canon of Scripture? Sort of, yeah? Okay. C-A-N-O-N. And this isn't like Big Bang, boom, canon. Um, this is literally a uh, part of a compilation, or part of, it is recognized as part of the Scripture. <laughs> Right? So, um, I'm actually, I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt tonight, uh, Rogue One. And so, if I went out, and if I made my own Star Wars movie, and I was dancing around in my garage with a broom handle lightsaber, um, and decided that I wanted to include that as part of the canon of Star Wars, it would be disallowed by not only Disney for copyright infringement, but it would probably be disallowed by George Lucas and many other people. It's, it wouldn't be part of that world. Does that make sense? So these books, the Apocrypha, they're not part of Scripture. They're not recognized as part of Scripture. So, <clears throat> and there's actually a page, um, if you... I don't know if you have it in your Bible, but if you do have the Apocrypha in your Bible, you should probably update your Bible, because um, it was only for a short time. But uh, if you do have the Apocrypha in your Bible, uh, in the KJV, in the original 1611, there is a page where it actually says the uh, translator's notes to the readers, and it explains what I just explained, that there is an actual, like this was 
not considered part of Scripture. So, which leads us, uh, well, actually, it was actually removed from the KJV entirely in 1666. Um, the word apocrypha actually means that it, uh, that which is hidden, that which is hidden, is your blank. <clears throat> and that is important, and we'll uh, circle back to that in just a minute here. There are 14 apocryphal books. Uh, which were included in the 1611 KJV. And all but two of those are recognized by the Roman Catholic Church as part of the Old Testament. So they're, they're books that were written around that same time. Okay? They were written in between. Now this is, this is my Old Testament here. This is my one page in between. They were written here. This is 400 years. This is where all of these 14 books were written. And those 14 books, um, they are 1st uh, Esdras, 2nd Esdras, which those are the two that are not recognized by the Roman Catholic Church as being part of the Old Testament. Uh, Tobit, you guys know Tobit, right? Uh, Judith, uh, the remainder of Esther, so there were parts of Esther that were left out of the, of the Old Testament is what they're claiming. Uh, Wisdom of Solomon. This is my favorite because I love to say it. Ecclesiasticus. <laughs> love it. <clears throat> I just love the name. Just love the name, not the whole book. First uh, Maccabees, second Maccabees, uh, Barak, son of the three, or I'm sorry, Song of the Three Children, Story of Susanna, Bell and the Dragon, which is another fan favorite, <laughs> and uh, the Prayer of Manasseh. So. All of these were written in that 400-year period of silence, okay? And during that period, um, it really, I mean, it would have been people disseminating this, people passing it around. That's how it got around. Um, those people could have included false teachers, or actually did include false teachers, false religions. I mean, can you imagine if, I mean, somebody does not like Christianity and does not like Christians, how, how does Satan attack us? By attacking God's word, right? We know that all throughout scripture in Genesis. We see it right up front in Genesis where uh, Satan questions God's word. Well, he does that here again by, by trying to submit false letters and false pieces of, of, uh, of scripture to the Old Testament. Um, but there's one, there's one other thing that we're not, we might not, fully think about. And that's really overly zealous people, like overly zealous Christians, overly zealous believers, people that want to take something and run with it, right? Um, go ahead and turn to uh, Acts, Acts chapter 18. So I want to show you guys, this wasn't just uh, back then, this was, I mean, even after Jesus had, had died. <clears throat> Acts 18, verse 24. It says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and, be, uh, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. All right, time out. So what was the baptism of John? Like, what was that doctrine? 
repent, and get baptized, right? Now, today, 2018, or even at this point, after Jesus has died, Apollos is going around preaching this. Now, if you preach repent and get baptized, will that save you from hell? Is that good enough to save you? No, because that was, that was the Old Testament. John was before the death of the testator, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? So we know that the, the New Testament begins once Jesus Christ dies. So all of the new dispensation, which is a fancy word for how things are ordered within that uh, time period, in that dispensation of the New Testament, it is by grace that we're saved, not by works, lest any man should boast, right? <clears throat> so what we see, though, is Apollos being a fervent, a fervent man and eloquent in his speech. He's going everywhere and he's preaching, you got to repent and you got to get baptized. I mean, it's a noble cause, right? But it's not really accurate. I mean, he's not, he's not converting people to, you know, salvation. He's actually leading them astray. So what we see, though, is if we pick up on our story, uh, verse 26, And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took unto him them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. So they took Apollos and brought him aside and said, All right, Apollos, we, lo we love the intensity. We love that you're going out and you're preaching to everybody, but really you got to dial it back because what you're saying is not accurate. This is what the gospel is. And explain to him a way more perfectly, right? And so then he can go out and he can start preaching and being even more zealous. And he actually does. And you see him uh, reappear in 1 Corinthians. So, so this is kind of what, what was happening at that same time. So we would have had false teachers, we would have had false religions, and we would have had overzealous people, overzealous Christians, taking that material and running and saying, look, I got more scripture. Look, I've got more to read. You know, it, it, it's, it's not really, I mean, while it might have been a noble cause, it really wasn't what they should have been doing. They should have been reading the scripture and making sure that they were comparing it with the things. Because, uh, honestly, I've read some of some of the Apocrypha stuff, but they can really cause a lot of doctrinal inaccuracies if you're taking it for doctrine. So, <clears throat> uh, point number four there uh, on your study sheet. The time of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament also gave way to many false teachers and philosophers such as Buddha, Confucius, Socrates, Aristotle, and several <coughs> of their disciples. So it actually opened the door, this time, of, this time of silence between the Old Testament and New Testament, it opened the door for not just these, these false books to get out there, but it actually opened the door for false you know, preachers and teachers to get out there and start really confusing people with, with false religion. And so it was very, very dangerous. <clears throat> so in point five here, so this kind of, brings it all to a head. This is kind of all where we're going with this thing. So the main reason, the main reason that the Apocrypha was in, included was because even though these books were non-canonical or not part of, uh, not recognized as part of Scripture, 
they did provide some relevant, uh, relevant historical information, historical information about the time. So the 1611 KJV was to be a Bible for the people, right? It was to be mass-produced, and in those times, common people did not have access to libraries, concordances, smartphones, the internet, and yes, even blue-letter Bible. They did not have access, and that would have been tough. Um, so this, this would have been a way for people to gain more contextual information about what was really going on. Right? You're thinking about the, the 17th century. You're thinking about uh, 1611 and beyond, right? I mean, uh, this was being produced in, in England. Uh, the, the KJV was being produced in England. And in England, they, they would have had access to maybe some books, but it wouldn't be like, you know, history of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas in the uh, 4th to... Uh, first, B.C., like, they wouldn't have access to this stuff, right? So it's contextual information. So um, that being said, so God has preserved his word perfect, without error, and in English, exactly how he wants. Uh, I need a couple of readers. Can I get a couple of readers? Scott? Um, Here, we'll do this first. Scott, do Psalm 19... Uh, verse 7 through 11. Trey, Proverbs 8, 8 through 9. Landry, uh, Acts. Oh, wait. Uh, Proverbs uh, 19, 21 there. Sammy, Acts 20, 27. And, oh man, so many decisions. Brooke. Thank you, Brooke. Second uh, Peter, Second Peter 1, 5. Um, everybody else go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30. <laughs> Okay. Oh, whoops. I'm in the wrong. There we go. All right. Um, Scott, why don't you go ahead with Psalm? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than the much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warmed, and, keep, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Right. So we have several adjectives there that accurately describe the Bible, right? It's pure. It's clean. Read, read some of those other ones there, Scott. Yeah. It's pure. It's clean. It's... Uh, where am I at? 13 or 12? Uh, yes. Okay. No, 11. Oh, 11. Wait, 7 through 11. That, that phrase... Actually, let's just turn there. Let's all turn there. <laughs> let's just do that. Hold your place in Deuteronomy. 
I failed. I'm no, sorry. you didn't. I actually, this was one of the ones that I marked to turn to, and I didn't. All right. All right. It's all right, Scott. You did a good job. All right. Look in verse 7. The law, the law of the Lord is perfect. What can we call the scripture? The law, right? The law of the Lord is perfect. The, uh, the, the testimony of the Lord is sure. This is sure. It makes wise the simple. The statutes, again, the statutes of the Lord, they're right. The, the commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Do you guys sense a pattern here? Do you see what's happening? This, this was preserved pure. It's preserved clean. All right. Proverbs uh, 8, 8, and 9. Go ahead. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. They are plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. Right. They're pure. They're right. Um, Landry? There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. The counsel of the Lord shall stand. Sammy? For I am not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. All the counsel of God. All of it. Right? Brooke? Right. <clears throat> We're adding to our, our faith by, by reading this. We're adding to our faith when we open this book, right? It's, it's pure. It's clean. It's righteous. Look in Deuteronomy uh, 30.11. For this commandment, which I command thee this day, it is not, what? Hidden, hidden from thee. It is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. Okay, so we have what's called the Apocrypha, and that means what? That which is hidden. This verse clearly, clearly calls out the Apocrypha and says, I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It's not hard to find. People want to make it hard to find. Now, not to get too nerdy with this um, or too deep in the rabbit hole, because I know we can, but the, the King James Bible was, was primarily translated from two different um, texts, underlying texts. The first was the Old Testament text, and that was the Masoretic text. Okay? The other is the New Testament, and that is the Textus Receptus. Okay? And... We'll just, we'll just do it like this. Uh-oh. No. <laughs> Valerie. My wife, oh, even. Oh my all right. This is all of the copies of Scripture ever. Okay? This is all of the copies of Scripture ever. You guys, it's just a circle. It's just a circle. Okay. Okay, if this is all of the scripture, right, the New Testament scripture that was written, the copies that were found, okay, 
This would be the Textus Receptus. Okay? Textus Receptus. Receive text. My wife with the assist right there. All right. <laughs> this right here, this is about 1% to maybe 2% of all the texts that were ever found written in Greek for the New Testament. All of them. This is about maybe 1%. We'll say it's 1% because I believe that's the accurate number. This is the Vaticanus Sinaticus. Vaticanus Sinaticus, right? It's also the LXX. And what was the Aleph? Yeah, there's a bunch of them. We're not going to go through all of them. Those are the two. Those are the two main ones. Yeah, I know. We're not going to. I said rabbit hole. Oh yeah. Um. So, and yeah, we don't have that much time. But uh, all right. So Vaticanus Sinaiticus and LXX, right? These are two two like very very minute. Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? Writings, texts. Uh, texts? I don't know. That's not it. That's okay. We'll say that. Um, these are two of the texts that were found, right? Manuscripts. Manuscripts. Thank you. Thank you. See, he gets me. <laughs> Script of a man. So these are two manuscripts that were found. One of which was found, the Vaticanus Sinaiticus. This was found... In Vatican. In the Vatican. In the basement of the Vatican. You want to know how this came to be? Somebody found it down there and was not allowed to take it out to make copies of it. So they would go down there for hours, study it out, write it, like basically try to remember it from memory, leave, and then go and write as much down as they possibly could. Right? That's this one. The Vaticanus Sinaiticus. The LXX was actually found in a trash can. That's Sinaiticus. That's Sinaiticus? Vaticanus and Sinaiticus are two different. Oh, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's was right, when that's I was right. talking. The LXX is the You're right. Septuagint. Right, 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 right. Sorry. Sorry. Let me... No. Welcome to the rabbit hole. Everybody. Yeah, well, welcome to the rabbit hole. Where's the white out? <laughs> so, these are two different ones. Yeah. Yeah, just draw a line. Like that? Does that do it? All right. Same thing. Shut up. Vaticanus was found in the basement of the Vatican. The Sinaiticus was found at the at the bottom of Mount Sinai and in the trash can. And monks were using it as fire kindling. Right. This right here. This right here is what ninety percent. Actually, it's probably more than that now. It's everything except for the KJV. That is what your, your New Testament is based off of in every other Bible. Off of those writings. Off of those writings. Yeah. The Textus Receptus received text. These were copies of 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 copies. Literally, it would be like me writing it down, then passing it to Kyle, and Kyle writing it down. Kyle gives me mine back, and then I pass mine to somebody else. Kyle, you pass yours to somebody else. That's the Textus Receptus, the received text. So they actually took this, and they translated that 
into this. Now, in this, there might be small, small errors, like scribal errors, issues. But when you compare a hundred of them, and you figure out, okay, these are all the same. So this, you know, one with this little scribal error, that's, the, that's not accurate. This is the lengths that the translators of the KJV went to. And this is only literally a sliver. This is literally a sliver. We spent how long in JBI? Wasn't it like a year? Yeah, I think it was a whole year in, in JBI going over manuscript evidence, which is what this is. So, uh, to get out of the rabbit hole, because we're not going to have time to do anything else. Um, so this is, what, this is what this means. When you have your, your Bible, and when you say that it is pure and that it is perfect, and that it is without error. This is what it means. It takes, it takes literally everything into, into account. Everything. Including books that say they're hidden, and, and shows you, for this commandment, which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee. It's not hidden our, our Bible, the, the things that we have here, is exactly what God wanted to show us. It's exactly what he wanted to tell us. So he would not include something that's hidden, or that doesn't, you know, that's a sliver, a slice. But anyway, we'll get out of the rabbit hole. All right, everybody go to Psalm 12, uh, 6 through 7. And we're actually going to skip the First Peter reference and move on after this. Psalm 12, 6 and 7. And we all know this one. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't know this, you should memorize it. The words of the Lord are what words? As silver tried in a furnace of earth. What? Purified seven times. Purified, Caleb. <laughs> purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, let me ask you something. Do you guys trust that when, like, if you're saved, do you trust in your salvation? Okay. What are the stakes of your salvation? Heaven and hell. Your eternity, right? The stakes are pretty high. Now, if you are willing to trust your eternity, your eternity, with this word, don't you think that it should be pure? Good news. God has kept it pure. He has kept this book pure. It has been tried. It has gone through revisions over, over the years in, in English to make sure that it is the best, most pure, most perfect version that it could be because what happens is just like you purify uh, precious metal um and has anybody in here ever seen precious metal being purified i don't i don't know is lead valuable um you have okay what happens what's the do you know the purifying process kind of yeah, kind of, yeah. do you want to try to take a stab at explaining it Okay. He did a 
lot, put borax on it, heat it up some more, put more borax on it. And then as you do that, the borax mixes with the metal and it creates this chemical reaction that forces all of the impurities to go to the top and then float to the sides. Right. So when the metal hardens, all the impurities are on the sides and you have a pure hunk of metal. Right. Now think about that. You do that seven times. How many, how many imperfections do you think are going to be in there? Zero. That's actually scientifically proven. If you purify metal seven times, it will be as pure as it will ever get. Isn't that crazy? It's an, it's an accident. Um, <clears throat> all right. So the conclusion, because we need to move on. The conclusion is even though the Apocrypha was included in the original 1611 KJV, it was never considered to be part of the canon of Scripture, uh, canon of scripture by the translators. So we can trust our KJV remains pure today. Can For multiple reasons. Number one, because they found that more people were taking it as the canon of Scripture, and it was creating confusion. So part of the reason they got rid of it was for that. So, And the other part of the reason was because the Roman Catholic Church still uses it to this day. And, I mean, we don't really want to be associated with that. It's kind of the way it works. So, any other questions before we move on? That is an excellent question. It was already established. It wasn't? It was established. Already. Okay. They are, the, the KJV isn't the first complete Bible. Yeah. So there... Actually, I have this written down in my Bible. This, the seven purifications of the KJV Bible... The, the KJV is actually the eighth. So it was purified seven different times, the KJV being the eighth. I have them written down here. It's the Wycliffe Bible, the Tyndale Bible, the Cloverdale Bible, the Matthew Bible, the Great Bible, the Geneva Bible, the Bishop's Bible, and then the KJV. So if you want that list later, you can come. And those are all English translations. Those, yes, those are all English translations. Now, for one, uh, for one reason or another, they were, uh, they were versions leading up to the KJV. They weren't perfect. A lot of them were inaccurate because of you know one reason or the other like the bishop's bible i know for sure uh one of the reasons why is it was so large they literally had to chain it to the the pulpit of churches um because it was it was too heavy to carry if they knew that the apocrypha was not canon to the scripture why was it put in the bible yeah, I thought I, I thought I just covered that. No, I'm, just, I'm kidding, Ty. I'm, I'm totally kidding. No, it, it literally, it was for historical context. So, I mean, think about it. If you're out in the middle of nowhere and you have no access to any resources to tell you, you know, what's going on in China, like, Ty, what's going on in the Manila, Philippines today? You have no idea. Now, let me ask you, what's going on in the Manila, Philippines in, you know, 1535? You have no idea. So the reason why they included it was to give context of this is what was happening. Because there was historical details within those books. They just were not, yeah.
I'm pretty sure in the original one, the Apocrypha, they do go into deep explanation of why they included it in there, too. Yes. They just didn't throw it in. Like, in, like in the beginning of our Bible, you have the translators to the readers. Yes. Like their notes. It's the exact same. I don't know if it's in there, but I know yep. with the Apocrypha in the 1611 especially, they tell you exactly why and what reasons they put it in there. Mm -hmm. And everything going into detail. So. Yeah, there's, an, there's actually a uh, translator's notes to the readers yes. in the original 1611. You can actually Google it and read it. Yeah. You could try to read it. I mean, it's really hard to read that 1611 because there's Fs. They're actually S's, and Use W's. W's don't exist. They're double V's, and what are it's like V U's. Yeah, V V. I's and J's are backwards. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really really hard to read. That's part of the purification process. Was was changing some of those, making it more easy to read because ultimately it was for the common person to read. So, yes. Like racist after like the 1611. 1611. 1611 is a gun. Sorry, I was trying to think of the number. But was it pretty recent after it took out? Or like how long did it like were getting confusing um, and they didn't want to be associated with the Roman Catholic Church which was accepting it as part of scripture they accept the Roman Catholic Church accepts the Apocrypha at, uh, at least the last 12 books that are on there the ones that are asterisks the eras erratus no yeah the first two Esdras Esdras um, I was trying to do that from memory it did not work Yes, it's five five years, five years they took it out, so or fifty. That's what I meant. <laughs> Let's move on. Question number two. Any more? Wait, any more questions about the apocrypha? We're good. All right. I know. I know. I've got three minutes to try to cover this. Hi, you got this. <laughs> we're gonna try to we're gonna try to get through it. We just do. Yeah, fill in the blanks. Good luck. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. It's really not that difficult. Um, all right, so the question is, we often capitalize he and him when we refer to God slash Jesus. Now that slash, they're actually together, so not to be confused with the slash on the board. All right, so God slash Jesus. Why are these pronouns not capitalized in the Bible? That is a good question. The answer uh, so the thought is that we capitalize these pronouns um, that refer to God as a sign of reverence and recognition to God's deity. That is deity, is your blank. Sorry. Um, so that's kind of the thought process behind it. Um, it is to reverence God. It is to show him that we, uh, that we esteem him above all other names, right? But we'll get into this here real quick. So the reason... Uh, yeah, the reasoning is similar to what is found in the Old Testament with the different Hebrew names for God. So this is kind of a sidebar, but it, this is a really good thing. This Actually, I have this table here in my Bible because it helps me. So the KJV key to the names of uh, God, and this is in the Old Testament. Only the Old Testament, um, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. These are the Hebrew names for God. 
Um, okay, so you have God, all caps. That is G- Jehovah in heaven, right? Jehovah. And as you notice, Lord in all caps is the same. Jehovah in heaven, right? Um, so we have uh, God and Lord, all caps. Those are Jehovah. We see Lord, capital L. Uh, that's actually title case, so I'm just going to say that. Uh, Lord title case is uh, Adonai, uh, and that's master owner. Uh, God, in title case, is Elohim, which is God's power. Power is your blank. And Lord, all caps, God in title case, is Jehovah Elohim, and you guys kind of see how I get that there. Um, you just put the, you know, the things together from the ones that are above it. You guys got it? I, yeah, that's what I mean. You guys should get this. You're college educated, partially. Um, um, so, uh, so we have Lord God uh, and Lord God there at the end. The first one, let's go to Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 4. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. And this is actually, both of these are the first mention. I want to get that there. So these are both the first mention of uh, this version of, of God's name, Jehovah Elohim. So Genesis 2.4, these are the generations of the heavens of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth in the heavens. You see that? Lord, all caps, God in title case. You see that? All right. So Lord God is Jehovah Elohim. And Jehovah Elohim means uh, God's power in heaven. Does that make sense for the context of that verse? Let's look back at it. These are the generations of the what? The heavens of the earth when they were created. Heavens created. Context, right? God's power in heaven. God created the heavens. Got it? All right. We're going to move. Genesis 15. Genesis 15, verse 2. All right. And this is uh, Lord title case, God, all caps. Uh. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Uh, I'm sorry, and Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus? Um, So this is Abram, not Abraham. He's the same guy, but this is before he uh, made a covenant with God, right? This is before God changed his identity through his name. Um, He is saying to God, uh, Adonai Jehovah, or Jehovah Adonai. I don't remember what the order is, Adonai but I, I think it is Adonai Jehovah is the way that it works out. Um, but Adonai, master owner, in heaven, right? That is showing reverence that Abram is indebted to God. That he, that God is Abram's master, right? That is showing reverence right there. So we see 
that uh, both in Genesis 2.4 and Genesis 15.2, these are both the first mentions of these accounts. And good luck trying to find the rest of them. I mean, they're all throughout the Old Testament, but most Bible searches are not case-sensitive. So it was a nightmare trying to find all this stuff out. So uh, <clears throat> to really answer this question, though, and again, we're going to continue just to move here. To really answer this question, though, we need to have a little bit of an English lesson. So the words I, you, he, she, it, we, they, and all the variants of those words are pronouns. Pronouns. As a refresher, a pronoun is a word that can take place of a noun. So instead of saying, I've got a friend in Tim, I can say, I've got a friend in Tim. You! I've got a friend in you! Come on! I love Toy Story. I've got a friend in you. I, either one, honestly, either one. Tim, just put So. Tim would make you. Alright, alright, alright. So, so the rules of a pronoun. The rules of a pronoun state that you should only capitalize a pronoun at the beginning of a sentence unless you're using I, in which case it's always capitalized, and we know that. The KJV follows this rule. Exclusively follows this rule. Um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and go to Matthew 3.16. Now that's going to be stuck in everybody's head for the rest of the night. <laughs> All right. So, Matthew 3.16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning uh, upon him, and lighting upon him. All right, I've got to turn this on. Can you do that now? Yeah. Thank you. We're going to do this real quick. This is happening. Did I get it? I didn't get it. What? Sit on here. Bottom right. Yep. No, no. on the side, but the bottom right button. There it is. It causes so many problems. Everyone has problems. Causes so many problems. All right. So, are we are, are we good? Are we up? We not, we're good? Uh, next one. Next. Next. All right. So, here we have Matthew 3, 16 and 17. Can everybody see that? This is the NASB. The NASBA. Um, can you see that? Or am I in the way? I'll try to get in the, out of the way. There you go. So, Matthew 3, 16. We see, it says, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove, and lighting upon him, or I'm sorry, and lighting on him, and behold, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay? Go ahead, and next one. Sorry. Sorry. That's old school. <laughs> Nobody in here will get that. So, we see the two capitalized pronouns, Right? So we see him lighting on him, which is obviously, it's talking about Jesus. And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, this is my, it's God in heaven, saying his beloved son. Nothing really wrong with that, right? So, 
um, why aren't he and uh, why aren't him and my capitalized in the KJV then? So this is obviously referring to Jesus throughout this verse, but the KJV translators maintained uh, the rules of English so that we have an unadulterated account, right? And they do this throughout Scripture, throughout all of Scripture. All right. Uh, so capitalizations that can and really that do affect doctrine. Let's just real quick too. If you notice, it says, "And he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove." Why isn't he? This is actually speaking about John. John. But this is another thing. So this, so this here, this includes John in this verse. John is actually not included in your KJV verse. So if you make that connection, I I did think that too. Um, why isn't it capitalized there? But see, this is what I'm talking about. This creates some confusion. So we're going we're gonna to get to an even uh, bigger one here. Everybody turn to Matthew 12, 38. Matthew 12, 38. So yeah, in this verse, uh, in Matthew 3, it's talking about Jesus being baptized. And we know that. Uh, we know John was present. And in context of this verse, it actually makes perfect sense that it's talking about, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove, um, even though it doesn't say it in our KJV. However, so Matthew 12, 38, let's go ahead and look there. Um, it is, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. All right, go ahead to the next one. This is the... Uh, that one more time. There you go. Sorry. I don't know production value. Um, that's terrible. So this is the New King James Version. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, so they change a word too, uh, we want to see a sign from you. you. Okay. Now, who is this that's saying this? The Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? Jesus' buddies? His friends? Yes. <laughs> Jesus's followers? No. Somebody that reverences God and Jesus? Okay, do you see the problem? If you do it based on reverence, this should not exist because they did not reverence the teacher. They did not reverence the master. And if you look at it, it actually says, Master, we would see a sign from thee, more as an accusing statement rather than a question, rather than a teacher. We would like to see a sign from you. Like, it, they change it. It changes the context entirely. And it can change your doctrine because then you start to think, well, wait, did the Pharisees really kill the Messiah? I mean, because they reverenced this guy. If they reverenced him, they wouldn't have killed him. It, it, it's, it can get really deep. Um, so, spirit and spirit. We're not going to go there, but this is another really good uh, uh, reference there in the parentheses, Daniel 5.11. Uh, spirit versus spirit. Other versions capitalize the S in spirit, completely changing the meaning of the tone and verse. Oh, your blank was false. Sorry. I want to give you your blank. So you have your blank. False. False. Um, the NKGV not only changes the pronoun, but capitalizes it, making it seem as though the Pharisees are reverencing Christ, which is false. Which is false. Um, okay, spirit versus spirit. So they changed the, 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 uh, the capitalization of S in spirit, which 
if you have the Holy Spirit and a spirit, one of those is completely different than the other. Things that are not the same, they're different. They're different. They cannot be, if they're different, they cannot be the same. So they change. Um, in this passage, I'll just briefly run over it. So in Daniel, it's talking about uh, Belteshazzar, which is Nebuchadnezzar's son. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has died. Belteshazzar is now in power. He, uh, uh, somebody comes up to him and uh, like he's having these dreams. Or he, Was that the handwriting on the wall? I think that was the handwriting on the wall. Um, so the handwriting is on the wall, and he wants to know what it means. So Belteshazzar uh, is terrified. He's freaked out. Uh, and one of his advisors said, you should go see this man. He's, uh, he is a, a, uh, a man that understands spirits. The KJV says spirits. Like, there's no reverence there. There's no, like, they're not reverencing the guy. They're just saying, well, this guy knew what your dad was thinking. But in other versions, they change it and they capitalize it, saying that he knows the spirit of God, th- making those people seem like they're holy, seem like they're reverencing God, when really they were anything but. Changing scripture matters, even in the size of a letter. It really does. So what about Satan? By using the logic of capitalizing names, pronouns, as reverence throughout the Bible, you could take it to mean we are reverencing Satan when we capitalize his name. Technically, you could. So should we all start capitalizing not capitalizing. Now I've got everybody confused about English. No. So the conclusion, to wrap it up, and then we'll be done. Capitalizing pronouns, while seemingly innocent, can lead to confusion, inaccuracy, and errant reverence. So this is my personal belief. My personal belief. I have called uh, uh, Pastor Steve, and I've spoken to him, um, and talked to him about not only his position, but the position of our church, and we all kind of fall on this, uh, uh, on the same place on this matter. However, I will be completely candid with you. Um, not only has Tom kind of gone back and forth on it, um, this is kind of where he currently resides, is, you know, with what I'm about to say. So my personal belief on this matter is that because the KJV translators did not capitalize pronouns, I do not think they should be capitalized either. That is my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Now... That being said, um, Satan will try the most subtle of things to change God's word, and this is just another example of that. However, I'm not going to die on that, on that hill. If you genuinely believe that capitalizing he, him, you know, my, whatever, if you believe that, that's perfectly okay. I'm not going to fight you on it at all. And if anybody else in here does... Let me know, and I'll sick Aaron on him. <laughs> but for real, this is not a hill that we should be dying on. This is a preferential thing. Now, my personal opinion is that it can change doctrine. And I've seen other examples throughout Scripture where subtle things are changed. Punctuation is removed. Verses are removed. Those kinds of things, and it makes a difference. So this makes a difference. Um, With that, we will be done. Let's go ahead and uh, go before the Lord, and then we'll, we'll peace out here.
<clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, um, Lord, just for, for being so good to us and uh, just giving us something that we can perfectly rely on and, and trust and hope um, that, uh, Lord, we can pin our eternity to it, knowing that, uh, that Lord, you have preserved this, not by the work of men, but you. Holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Lord, these words were penned not by man, but by you. They were preserved not by man, but by you. And I'm so grateful that we can trust completely in that. Lord, I thank you for everybody that was here tonight. And I know that this is more of like a classroom type setting and, um, and just kind of going over these things is uh, sometimes a little mundane. And, um, but Lord, I pray that, that they would take these things and they would run with them and not just take my word for it, Lord, but that they would study it out for themselves. That uh, we would just be, uh, be fervently following after you and just being workmen. Lord, needing not to be ashamed that we are rightly dividing your word, this word of truth. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. Thank you for every single person that came here tonight. Um, I'm, I'm genuinely uh, just blessed the, the fact that I have the opportunity to stand up here and, uh, Lord, just make a fool out of myself, and I would do it any day for you. Thank you so much just for um, all that you do for us, and uh, just keep us safe as we leave here and uh, Lord, I know as a lot of uh, a lot of people are heading off to school and getting ready for school. I pray that you would just um, make sure that our foundation is strong, uh, that we would just uh, move forward this year um, just with a, a purpose and a determination. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. Amen.